Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Today, we'll be talking about Am I in Labor? with Dr. Michelle Santoyo. Michelle, welcome to Healthful Woman. Hi, Nadie. How are you? I'm great. <laughs> Excellent. So am I in labor? And this is something that comes up a lot at the end of pregnancy. It's something that we talk about with women uh, in advance of them reaching the end of pregnancy about how does someone know if they're in labor or not? So how do you talk to women about this? What, what, do you, what do you say to them? Typically, as they're approaching 37 weeks, which is considered full term, so usually already around 35, 36 weeks, I start having the conversation, partly because they're also bringing it up so that they know what to expect. And then I'll just go over kind of general signs or symptoms of what would be uh, early labor. And that could be contractions, gush of fluid where you think you break your water, noticing some bleeding. These could all be uh, signs of labor. Right. Women ask me all the time, what do contractions feel like? And I have to say, I don't know. And what, what I tell women is between whenever that time we're speaking, let's say it's 34 weeks, 35 weeks, 36 weeks, whatever it is, between then and actually going into labor, it's normal to have contractions. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Right. And some of them will be painless, right? The woman will just notice, hey, my belly is hard or she'll feel it. Some of them will be very um, slight, maybe like a menstrual cramp or something in that regard. And some of them can even be painful. And they'll be all over the place. They'll be exactly. irregular. There's come, not a pattern yeah. to it. Right. Yeah. And that whole time between when they start and when labor happens can be a day or it can be months. Yeah. And it's variable for each person. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I tell them is that when they eventually go into labor, that contraction pattern will get much more regular. Intense and regular. Yeah. They'll get yep. intense, meaning each one will hurt more. They'll get regular, meaning you can start to clock it you know, every 10 minutes, every eight minutes, every whatever. And each contraction will typically last a while, much right. longer than the Right. So instead of a few seconds, cramps. they'll last mm -hmm. a minute. And so typically when someone is in labor, they'll be having painful contractions, mm -hmm. right? You usually don't sleep through labor. Mm -hmm. You don't like, hey, find out I'm in labor. Mm -hmm. uh, there'll be painful contractions. They'll be regular, meaning they're not irregular. They come at a very scheduled time. They'll be close together, usually four or five minutes apart, and they'll last about a minute. But interestingly, not all women who have that are in labor. Yes. Or the other way around too. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Depending on what number baby. Yes. Right. So you're right. So what I say is when that happens, you're possibly or probably in labor, but not necessarily. And that's why when someone either comes to the office or comes to the hospital and says, you know, I'm having contractions every four to five minutes, and they tell me all these things, but Sometimes their cervix is closed and nothing's going on. And at that point, it's sometimes difficult for people because they don't know what's going to be. Exactly. They could be in labor in 20 minutes or it could be in 20 hours. And it's hard to know sometimes what's going on. The sort of medical or technical definition of labor for us is when you have those contractions and the cervix starts opening. Mm -hmm. But obviously, you know, women aren't going to know if their cervix is opening. It, it doesn't feel like anything. So it's something that they'd have to come in and we would check it out. I mean, I always tell women, when in doubt, if you're not sure, then you call us. I mean, that's what we're here to do. And so sometimes, you know, if someone calls me, they're not sure. And as I'm speaking to them and they're describing whether it's cramps or contractions that they're feeling, and as I'm also talking to them on the phone, I can kind of get a gist whether, no, not quite yet, or yes, come in. But when in doubt, I always say you should 
call. And even for us, if if we have any doubts, we're going to have you come in. Whether you're coming into the office to be checked or if it's at night or on the weekend, you'll come into the hospital and then we'll examine you there. And then we can kind of better guide you as to whether, yes, you're in labor or not yet was a false alarm, which is okay. Right. As you said, when in doubt call, these are the phone calls we take. And we would much rather have a phone call where we say, no, no, you're not in labor, wait a few hours or whatever it is, than find out that someone's been laboring at home and is in horrible pain and Mm -hmm. was afraid to call us because, you know, they thought we wouldn't care or something like that. And so definitely, if there's any questions, I also agree that someone should call. But typically, if the contractions are not so painful and they're 10 minutes apart and not much is happening, we'll usually just tell people to wait, assuming nothing else is going on. Exactly. Obviously. And that's the other thing I tell people that 90% of the time labor is going to start like that with Mm -hmm. the contractions and they build up, but 10% of the time the water breaks and there could be no contractions whatsoever. Yes. And that's like going into labor. And it's also something where we would bring people into the hospital. Absolutely. Yes. And it's also not like it is on television where after the water breaks, four seconds later, someone's in massive labor and the baby's coming out. Exactly what I tell people too, yes. What was it, what was it on, on Friends, I think, where Phoebe's water broke and then all three triplets came out within 20 minutes? Yes, yeah, yes. That's unusual. Or <laughs> Sex of the City where she sees Mr. Big and her water breaks. These are these are examples that-, not uh, that <laughs> They're not real. But definitely about 10% of people, their water breaks. The, the medical term for that is called premature rupture of membranes. Premature, not meaning preterm premature, but it means before labor. Exactly. So we call it P-R-O-M or prom, like the prom you would go to in high school. Mm -hmm. And in that situation, it's interesting because the management of prom when someone's water breaks and they're not in labor, different people do it differently. Everyone will go into labor eventually after that happens, but it's not entirely clear when it's going to be. And the risk of waiting is the risk of infection, because since the water bag is broken, bacteria can crawl up into the uterus. The alternative than waiting is to give medicine to induce the labor, Mm -hmm. like oxytocin or pitocin. And in our practice, we generally recommend that women come in so that we can give them the oxytocin to induce labor. And most people are comfortable with that, but some are not, and it requires more of a conversation. Well, and the other key thing here too, when someone breaks their water is whether their strep test was positive or negative. So if they tested positive for group B strep, which is a standardized test on on everybody around 36, 37 weeks. If they tested positive, then someone should come in so they can start getting antibiotics because the bacteria that's present then could continue to, as you mentioned, go up into the uterus and can cause an infection potentially in the baby. And that's one of the main things we're also trying to prevent there. And so most patients who test positive for group B strep and break water, even if they're not having contractions, understand that and have no issues um, coming into the hospital and being induced. I think the bigger gray zone where some people may want to have more of a conversation is if they're strep negative, they're not having contractions, they break their water, and they're trying to wait to see if contractions may happen on their own without the stimulation of Pitocin. And that ultimately, I think, requires just a one-on-one conversation with the patient. Right. It's a very interesting topic because there actually has been a lot of research done on this where they did large studies where they took women, you know, healthy women into pregnancy in this exact situation where their water breaks and they're not in labor. And they took half of them, give or take randomly, they chose half of them to induce them and the other half they would choose to wait. Some of the very interesting findings in those studies is that the women who came in and got induced 
their cesarean rate was not higher than the ones who went home. People are under the impression that if they are, their water breaks and they wait, their likelihood of a cesarean delivery will be lower. In fact, that's not true. Uh, it was the exact same, and that's been in multiple studies. The main downside to waiting was there's a higher chance of infection in the mother and in the baby, generally not anything that's life-threatening, and we don't try to scare people with that, but the downside of an infection, other than maybe not feeling well and needing antibiotics, is usually when the mom is infected in labor or there's a suspicion of the baby being infected, the baby usually has to go into the neonatal intensive care unit in the NICU, which again, isn't life-threatening, but it's certainly not desirable, yeah. if not necessary. Not the ideal, yeah. Yeah, and so that's one of the, when I'm speaking to women who's either before we're having this conversation or when it happens, I'll tell them, well, yeah, it's not life and death that you have to come in, but if you stay at home and just wait, everything likely will work out fine, but you have a higher chance of the baby ending up in the NICU, either with an infection or getting worked up for a possible infection because the mother had an infection in labor. And for women who are, going to get an epidural, it doesn't tend to make a big difference because it's not more pain. For women who are not going to get an epidural, definitely starting uh, Pitocin uh, is going to start their contractions earlier. And so again, like you said, it's a conversation about what to do under the circumstances. Well, because it's always understanding why the patient may feel one particular way. And in the end, these may be just myths or, or fears, and then it's addressing those fears or concerns, and then people are okay. And that's it. Right. Usually the biggest one that I've heard is the risk of C-section, that yeah. they're worried it's going to cause yeah, yeah, a C-section. Yeah. And there's been a lot more research into a lot of this where there's more circumstances where we have confidence of when we are and are not increasing the risk of a C-section for women. And inducing with broken water is one of the situations where we're confident we're not increasing the risk of a C-section. That's reassuring for us, obviously, but also for the women mm-hmm. who we're talking to that, yeah. that it's not going to change that. I agree. They're concerned either with C-section and then something you brought up before, they're concerned about the pain. But then I also reassure them, but you can get an epidural before we start inducing you. And then they're like, oh, really? Okay, great. Then sure. You know, right. So it's again, it's just myths that they may have read out there or, or whatnot, and then just clarifying it with them. Right. We're definitely going to have another podcast about epidurals. In New York City and in our practice, probably 90 plus percent of women get epidurals. And that's, I mean, that's because that's what they want. I mean, we don't really push it one way or another, but that's sort of the numbers. And so for the women who are going to get one, like you said, it doesn't have much of a practical difference. It certainly doesn't affect their labor if they get it early before we start Pitocin or after. It's really for those 10% of women who weren't planning an epidural of the 10% of women whose water breaks, that it's a decision about what to do because starting the Pitocin without an epidural will definitely, it's not that the contractions hurt more pound for pound. It's that they just sort of come it just more comes quickly. on more quickly. Yeah, it's yeah. just sort of instead of slowly building people. up, it just sort yeah. of goes from zero to 60 a lot quicker. A lot faster. That's exactly what I expect. Because I tell people, if you were laboring at home, normally it would start, okay, every every 20, then every 15, then every 12, then every 10, et cetera, et cetera, until it's you know more you know regular three to five minutes apart in labor versus once you start inducing with Pitocin, you just jump to that much faster. But it doesn't mean that the contractions in and of itself or that the labor in and of itself is any more painful with or without Pitocin. It's just that you've kind of sped up the process to get there. To summarize where we are at this point for the question, am I in labor? Mm. Uh, The way we basically (laughs) do it is either if someone has contractions that are regular and painful and coming every five or six or four or whatever minutes apart that last about a minute and, you know, continue to go, that's one situation. And the second situation is if women's water is broken or they think it's broken. And so now I want to go into, let's say, someone has one of these two. We'll start with contractions. 
and they come to the hospital, they come to the office, and indeed they are contracting every five minutes and they're lasting a minute, but their cervix is closed. How do you handle that situation? Because that's sometimes disappointing for women in a certain sense that they're having these contractions. Sometimes they're happy about it if they have stuff to do and they want to go back home. But I would say for the most part, when people come to the hospital contracting every four or five minutes, their bags are packed. They've already, you know, they got they're their prepared. stuff ready. They're, they're ready to come. <laughs> and then we say, you know what? Not yet. So how do you how do you handle that situation? As I speak to the soon to be mom, kind of going over what exactly she was feeling, what made her specifically want to come in. And sometimes you can kind of pinpoint the differences as to the one part where she wasn't sure versus sure. And then trying to reassure her as to kind of what to feel next. In that situation, it's it's difficult to know exactly what to do. And some of it depends also where she lives, how far she had to travel to come in, how far pregnant she is, what she's scheduled to be induced, let's say the next day or whatever it is. You know, sometimes we'll someone come in in their clothes and we'll say, hey, you know, why did you go home? Yeah. And the, the interesting thing is a percentage of those women are back in two hours and they're five centimeters dilated. And a percentage of those women we see in the office three days later yeah. and they're still pregnant. And sometimes their contractions even spaced out or yeah, die and down and, and they go away. And it, it's quite unpredictable in that sense. Uh, obviously, the person who's contracting every five minutes painfully is more likely to go into labor than someone who isn't. But you never know. This yeah. is uh, pregnancy is a surprising situation for all of us, and and we're we have some humility that we don't know what's going on. Yeah. And sometimes women are just so uncomfortable with going home that we have them stay for a couple hours. Either they stay or they walk around or whatever it is, and then we'll re-examine them later and a see if they're more dilated yeah. and see if if they're actually in labor at that point. And the other situations when women think their water's broken, it's it's fascinating that it's not always obvious. It's no. sometimes obvious, uh, but it's not. But not always. always. Yeah. What do you What do you tell people uh, are the signs that it would be obvious that it's almost certain they broke their water? Usually, if they have a moderate to large gush of fluid, but then have constant trickling after that, that's not really stopping. It's almost as if they're peeing on themselves, mm -hmm. and it's not disappearing. So it's usually more of that clear cut sign that they've likely broke their water, and they'll even continue to have even smaller gushes after that. Right, and the reason for that is when the water breaks that amniotic sac, that bag that the baby is inside, if there's a hole in it, right, there's gonna be a big gush of fluid when it first happens, but then there's gonna be continued leaking because the water doesn't empty. It exactly. keeps getting replenished because it actually is the baby peeing. Yes, exactly. And so, that's, so that keeps happening, so you're gonna mm -hmm. keep leaking. And when someone calls and says, oh, I had a gush, and then I didn't have anything again for the past four hours, could be that they broke their water, but frequently it's something else. A lot of pregnant women at the end of their pregnancy, when they get up or they sneeze or they cough or they laugh, sometimes their bladder empties a little bit. Uh, and her urine is just the same as amniotic fluid because that's baby's urine. So it looks the same. It, it's hard to know, like you said, unless it's continuing to leak. Mm -hmm. Exactly. We typically will tell people when, they, when they're pretty sure their water's broken or they think their water's broken, if it's not obvious that it's not the case on the phone, we'll tell them to come in either to the office or the hospital to get checked out. And there's simple tests we can do to see if their water's broken. And then for the, for the person who is in labor, we typically then they'll stay in the hospital. Now, we do have some people who prefer to do the early stages of labor at home. Do you suggest those women first come in to make sure they are in labor or do you tell them to hold off at home as long as they can before they come in? I think it ultimately comes down to what they desire. So, I mean, most women, as you had mentioned before, do want to have an epidural, but they also acknowledge that they want that early part of labor at home and then trying to come in in a more active phase labor. So usually I will guide women and say, well, 
if you know you want to have an epidural and you're reaching the point that the contractions are just becoming more and more unbearable, well, then that's your cue to come in because now we can do an intervention with the epidural and give you that pain relief. And you're hopefully coming in on also an active phase of labor. The vast majority of women do. And so they're usually coming in anywhere between being three centimeters dilated to five centimeters dilated. And then they're going to get admitted, they get an epidural, and then we go from there. Right. And I think it's also important for people listening to this podcast or people looking online or whatever it is, the importance of individualizing this conversation yes. Ideally, before you go into labor, you know, with with one of us, with your doctor, whoever, and also on that time, because so much of it depends on what you want, right? What are your wishes? But also on our end, we have to individualize it based on how far away do you live? Yes. Right. So I'm going to have someone come in on the early side if they live very far away, for example, oh, yeah. or like you said, with group B strep and broken water, or Absolutely. sometimes there's other medical reasons, yeah. like if she had a prior C-section, if she has certain medical problems. Yeah. Uh, and then also the same thing in terms of what number of babies is for her. Oh, so absolutely. first baby yes. is very unlikely yeah. uh, to deliver at home and yeah. to come very quickly. But if it's someone's fourth baby and they're going to try to labor at home, they may deliver at home too. If that's what they want. I guess that's okay, but we're not going to be there. Because as I was speaking, I'm just speaking general for someone who's a kind of routine, uncomplicated prenatal care of first baby. But no, absolutely. I mean, I've had patients who they've called me, they, they're giving a great story for breaking water, not having contractions. And then I'm asking them, well, where do you live? You know, what number baby is this, et cetera. And as they, they'll tell me, well, this is baby number four and I live, you know, in a particular area of, of Brooklyn or Queens. Okay, you need to come in now. And then they'll say, but I don't feel anything. I feel great. I understand you feel great right now, but all of a sudden it could all of a sudden start in booming labor and I don't want you to not be able to make it to the hospital or you barely make it to the hospital and, you know, you're delivering very quickly without an epidural if that's what you wanted or I don't want your husband delivering your baby in the vehicle. And it's interesting because th these conversations I've had in this current practice and even in my last practice, and yet, so people would come in and sure enough, they'll say, Michelle, you were totally right. I felt perfect, I was perfect. But when I was in the car, my husband's driving in, it just started out of nowhere. And I just saw the baby coming, is the baby coming? And they'll come in like six centimeters booming away. And when an hour ago, they were convinced that, okay, my water broke, but I'm not really in labor. So that's why you should always err on the side of caution and call us. <laughs> you know, we, we do a relatively high volume practice and we have very few deliveries that happen mm -hmm. outside of the hospital. And I would say the vast majority of them are either totally unpreventable where someone, yes. you know, just goes into labor and delivers exceedingly quickly or someone tried to push it and <laughs> labor, labor at home as long as they could um, with without sort of running that bias first. Uh, it's very unusual for this to happen on a first baby. Uh, oh, yeah, once, you know, once you're on second plus, generally they can go faster. And uh, most people in the end, ultimately, they make it and they deliver in the hospital. This is a great review of Am I in Labor? And this is obviously something that comes up in pretty much every pregnancy. And it's something that we discuss with our patients towards the end of pregnancy. And it's something you should discuss with your own doctor as well. What are the things that they're looking for? What are the things that you're looking for? Thank you for listening to today's Health Woman podcast. Thank you to Dr. Michelle Santoyo for joining us today. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Healthful Woman podcast. To learn more about our podcast, please visit our website at www. Dot healthfulwoman.com. That's H E A L T H F U L W O M A N.com. 
If you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address, please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.